Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. This podcast is brought to you by Flex 7 from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of Enforce technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by Enforce technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. All right. So anyway, so we'll get started. So uh, I, I uh, fire engineering podcast, ne- uh, not networking for sex, but for success, but the training officer. Right. So we're going to talk about the training officer and uh, we're going to talk about the ins and outs, uh, the roles and responsibilities of a training officer. Uh, typically over the years, I was I was blessed. And, and, and my guess will, will, will he'll elaborate more on <clears throat> the, the training officer spot is almost bastardized, right? It's almost like a, a position that uh, people either take because it's a stowaway thing, it's a punishment, uh, they couldn't hack it on the engine, or it was a segue into getting promoted. Um, but like, uh, and I, I don't mean to just speak for myself, but like for myself and, and, and for my guest, it was a great opportunity for us to develop and grow and, uh, and, get, and get better at what it is that we do. Um, <clears throat> you know, when you become a training officer, you have to be passionate about it, right? So I always often say about, you know, I don't care about what George Bernard Shaw said, where he said, those who can't do teach. No, uh, you know, in the fire service, we can do, and that's why we choose to teach so that we can have others do better at it and grow and get better. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm joined by, uh, everybody says it and, 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 and it's, it's true, but for me, it's important because, uh, you know, Frank is a big mentor to me. Growing up in Jersey, uh, I knew who he was. He had put out the Common Valor book, um, and I, I enjoyed that we were on the map. And, uh, you know, this guy that was like 35, 40 minutes north of me uh, was was able to kind of showcase what it was that we did uh, in New Jersey. And I felt like, you know, the New Jersey Fire Service was was a, was a was just as strong and educated as, as anybody else, if not more. Um, you know, so – those who have been living under a rock in the fire service, you don't know who he is. That's crazy to me. But, you know, so I'm joined by Frank Viscuso. Frank's a retired deputy fire chief with uh, Corny Fire Department in New Jersey. He's a best-selling author. He's written eight books already. Um, you know, just it, it, it doesn't surprise me that he's written eight books, but I just like, like, it just amazes me. The quality of every book is just better than the next. Like they just, they, it's like there's never this writer's block thing. 
And Frank goes all over the country, he teaches seminars, he keynotes, he, he's a motivational speaker, he builds teams. It's not just with the fire service. You know, he does uh, professional athletes, uh, healthcare, different businesses, small business in- industry, large corporations. Uh, and he builds teams, he motivates teams, uh, which we're going to talk about today because congratulations, you know, you, your, uh, your, your boys team just won the championship. So without further ado, um, you know, we're going to have fun. Like you said, Frank, you know, we're going to have some fun today, but, but honestly, from the bottom of my heart, uh, I sincerely appreciate you being the guest for, for, for this show with me and, and us finally being able to do it. So thank you so much for joining me and thanks Frank for being here. I, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you. Cause, uh, we've had, we've had a great friendship and I still remember, and I think it's important, uh, a couple things, uh, one day when I was at a seminar out in Pennsylvania, and uh, you came up and we had a conversation. I remember saying, hey, you know what? I want to do what you're doing, you know, and you start talking about the speaking and everything. And I still remember to this day uh, in our conversation, I said, look, then just do it. You don't need anyone's permission. You know, nobody needs anybody's permission to create the life they want and and to go out and, and do the things you feel passionate about. You have to find and you are all about passion, but you have to follow your passion. You have to follow your dreams. And what you said about my books, how they get better each time that's, I agree with that. And here's why, because my first few books, I had no idea how to write a book. <laughs> you, you read my first few books. You're reading a book about a guy who is figuring out how to become a writer. Mm-hmm. And now I'm sitting there going, all right, now I have a few things figured out. So I'm actually looking forward to book like number 14 and 15 down the line when I actually maybe have just a, a 20% idea of how to actually do when you, what I'm When you doing. hit your stride, yeah. <laughs> but the key is when I hit my stride. But the key is this, you know, uh, we don't need to have it all figured out. You know, you talked about the training officer position. Yeah, I, I didn't say, yeah, I want to be a training officer. And next thing you know, I'm here. Uh, I think a lot of people know my story. And if not, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a minute or two. But I came here not having a clue of of what to do and turned out to be the absolute best thing for me my personal growth as a firefighter my career in the fire service and my career after the fire service it was the best thing that could have possibly happened to me and at the time it felt more like a punishment and that's the truth yeah i i uh i wouldn't disagree um you know, it's funny you said that it felt like a punishment. So you know, I was working down here in Pennsylvania, I started working for the federal government, <clears throat> left Jersey and, and got into that. And uh, I was a captain on an engine company at the Army War College, and I was loving it. And uh, I had a bad boss <laughs> and um, and I decided I'm going to apply for the West Point training chief job and uh, thought that they'd offer me the job. And then it worked out. And then I got there and uh, I thought, well, you know, what am I doing? Like, like, this is like, like I'm involved with all these different programs and everything like that. And I felt like I was running away from something that I was comfortable with. And it ended up working out because if you're living in comfort, you're not going to grow. Right. And you, and you know that, you know, so uh, I feel like right. the training officer position, especially the early initial stages, it, it's not supposed to be comfortable. It's supposed to be uh, kind of overwhelming. And, uh, you know, like the, the expression, um, competition breeds excellence, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. living in your comfort zone breeds excellence. You, you want to be on your game, you know, especially where I was at. I mean, that's like, you know, that's the military Academy. So I'm designing a training program for the military Academy fire department. That's like huge. So you got to be on your game and you got to get better. And, 
and you got to understand how to be resourceful and all that. And, you know, that's what I want to talk about in the podcast. And we have a list of topics we're going to cover, but just for the listener, for the people that, that, you know, that follow you and and understand, like, you know, uh, that position is not supposed to be just an easy thing. You're not supposed to just sit in front of a computer and and push out uh, training topics. Um, you are heavy, heavy, heavy lies the crown. You are responsible for the development of uh, the people in your organization and, and how they're going to grow and how they inspire others to continue to, to be better, um, build our organizations. And, and I think that a lot of times people take on that position for the wrong reason. And I'm not going to pick on them. I'm just saying, you know, like, I feel like your story I've connected with because, um, you got thrust into this thing and you capitalized on it and you found a way to, to find yourself and better yourself and then in turn better your organization uh, because of it. And I feel like that's a great six story and people need to understand that. So, you know, that's, that's, that's mostly the, I guess the purpose or whatever of the show is that. And that's why it's important to have you there yeah. because you live that you are, you talk about it and everything you do. Right. Yeah. And I've told the story uh, and, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not I don't I don't say this to um, as something to even look bad on my department. I mean, the reality is we have 25 captains, uh, one of one of whom is the training officer. And when our training officer was getting promoted, he went around and asked all the other 24 officers, are you interested in becoming our next training officer? Everybody knew he was going around asking this question because people said, hey, did, did, did our captain so-and-so speak to you yet? How about you? How about you? Would you tell him? I said, no way. No, he walked in the room. I, I walked out I walked in out the other door and I said, nope. I mean, this is, what they're, uh, this is going around everybody. So I knew it was a matter of time before he got to me. And truth is, I thought he's probably not, not going to ask me. I just got promoted. And... Um, but he comes up to me and he says, hey, I want to talk to you. Um, would you have any interest in being our new training officer? I said, me? I said, uh, I mean, what does a training officer do? I remember exactly where I was standing when I asked the question. I was at station three in front of engine three. The apparatus uh, bay door was halfway open. I remember, you know, I remember exactly. Yeah. The, I was facing uh, the door, the watch desk. He was facing in the opposite direction. And uh and he says, well, and he talked about some of the duties and skills needed for the position. And I listened and I thought I'm listening to be polite, but I have no interest. And so I felt I didn't have these skills. I didn't possess what the qualities he's looking for. So, so I said, thank you. I, I don't think it's for me. And I was done. That was my no. The next day I came into work. My chief calls me to the office. He says, uh, congratulations. I said, on what? He said, you're our new training officer. I said, me? Why me? He said, you showed the most interest. I was like, I thought it was a joke. And I can't tell you what went through my head over the next, I'd say, uh, three or four days. It was, first of all, I call my brother who's on a job. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. And But I had all these things happen where I'm like, do they not think I could be a good captain? Like, am I being punished for something and they're not telling me? Right. Uh, like, because nobody said, hey, we think you can be good for for this position or it, it didn't feel like a compliment and it didn't feel like, and everybody, everybody said, you know, they didn't want that job. So I'm thinking, well, I, I probably don't want it either. If they don't want it, I don't know what it is, but I don't want it. So uh, when I talked to my brother though, I remember him saying, you know what, Frank, you're in a position where you can make really positive change in this organization. 
And I said, like what? What could I, what change could I possibly make? He said, what do you think we need? I said, Joe, we have four different groups. And it's like we have four different departments because everybody does things differently. We don't even have any SOPs. He goes, why don't you write them? I said, I don't know how to write an SOP. He goes, Frank, go to Phoenix Fire Department's website, print theirs out, put our name on top, and you just wrote one. And I said, Joe, seriously, if it was that easy, how come no one's ever done it? He says, I don't know, but they're not you. You have to look at this as an opportunity. And so he took a ride with me the next day over to Jersey City. And I said, uh, do you guys have any SOPs? I'm, I'm a new training officer at Kearney. And I think they pretty much said, oh, sorry to hear that. <laughs> and I said, uh, no, not, nothing, and nothing to do with the department, almost like because they kind of know. I, yeah. I'm not showing up saying, hey, I'm the new training officer. I'm like, yeah, I'm the new guy. Right. Um, very interesting. I'm going to tell you something very interesting about this day. It's also the day I met Bill Peters. I want you to understand this. So Bill Peters was not the training officer. He was involved in their administration and their planning division. But as I went to the training office and they gave me a copy of their SOPs, I think they had five of them. That's all they had, the entire Jersey City Fire Department, five. Four of them for equipment we didn't even have. But they gave me copies of them. And I thought, this is awesome because now I actually see what an SOP looks like. Right, how it's formatted. This is awesome. Right. And so I, uh, on the way out, uh, my brother introduces me to Bill Peters. And he's like, Bill wrote this book. And he wrote the book on, on uh, purchasing fire apparatus. I'm looking at the book. I'm like, that guy right there wrote that book. Like, like I'm in, I'm in the presence of a fire service author right now. Mm -hmm. I was a, kind of in awe. I'm like, how smart is he to be able to write a book? Now, Bill and I are very good friends, Dan. I'm gonna tell you, he's not that smart. <laughs> I'm kidding, Bill. If he listens to this, I'm kidding. He's very smart. Bill's much. He's much smarter than I am, but. But that's, I mean, I look back at that day and I want you to think for anyone that's listened to this. And, and you said, you know, the author of eight books, 10, if you count the Sprinkles books, you know, the children's right. books and um, which, which, uh, you know, a whole another story for another day. But that's how it kind of started for me. Like uh, I'm in over my head. Uh, I did uh, one of the training, the training chief at the, not training chief, but the administration chief uh, came up to me and he says, um, he gives me a piece of paper and he says, sign here. I sign. I don't even know what I'm signing. Legally, now I know never do this again, by the way. Right. But I sign his form. I don't know what I'm signing. And he says, you are now in charge of making sure all our members get their CEUs for recertification. And he walked out of the room. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in a room alone going, what's a CEU? Hmm. You know, continuing education, you know, unit. I know, yeah. I know what it is now. But back then, what's a CEU? And what's he talking right. about? He was talking about for EMT recertification. So it wasn't like people sat me down and said, we're going to show you how to do all of this. I had no idea how to do any of it. And then I ended up writing more than 70 SOGs for my organization and getting us 24 core, 24 elective CEUs. All the elective CEUs were free because I was figuring out ways to get it for our members. Right. So we saved thousands of dollars for the organization right there um started organizing drills um you know i have a list of probably uh i'm sure about 18 or 19 things uh in a document of what a training officer does because it was things i was doing we had a training administration and planning division and it ultimately consisted of one person a training officer 
So we were in charge of equipment maintenance. We were in charge of, again, SOPs, uh, um, uh, making sure everybody gets the training they need. I created a driver training program, a probationary firefighter training program. Um, the uh, We weren't getting any grant money. I remember talking to our chief one day, and uh, this was Chief Bevins. Absolutely loved working for him, man. And I'll tell you, he, uh, I said, how come we don't ever get grant money? Like, do we put in for them? He says, yeah. I said, who, who actually puts in for it? And he says, well, we have a woman uh, located at the police department. She writes grants for police and fire. And I said, well, the police are always getting money. It's always in the paper how much they're getting, and we're not getting anything. Mm-hmm. I said, do you mind if I, if I uh, give it a shot? He says, you want to? I said, sure. So I said, well, what do we need? And after a couple of days of talking to the deputies, he came back to me, says, uh, technical rescue gear. I said, okay. So I uh, jumped in a car and I went down uh, to speak to a gentleman who, because I had already written my first book at this point, by the way, I spoke to a, a, a gentleman who was in charge of our Actually, no, I'm sorry, I got it reversed. This is how I met a guy that I told his story in the book. I, I spoke to the guy in, uh, in charge of our urban search and rescue uh, down at the state. And he um, told me, that if you're starting a technical rescue team, this is what you need. And it came out to $76,000 worth of equipment. We put in for it. We got it. And that was my first grant. And about four years later, I had acquired more than $3 million for our department. That's awesome. And And again, but here's the other thing. You know this. You know this about the networking aspect. <clears throat> I got I got a file right in the bottom drawer here that's got to be this thick of classes that I took. Being a training officer, I was taking classes constantly, uh, train-to-trainer type things and and um, certification classes. And I was mm-hmm. meeting everybody. I was meeting everybody and learning from them. And what I learned was this. You don't have to reinvent anything. The fact of the matter is, if you need to, we're talking about grant writing now. If you were writing a grant for a new apparatus, somebody in your county probably received a new apparatus through that grant. Get a hold of them, see if they'll send you a copy of the narrative, and it gives you a general idea. You're not going to of one that works, no less. Nonetheless, like ask somebody who who was awarded a a grant. Yes, exactly. You were awarded the grant. You received, you know, $600,000, whatever it was for, or, you know, probably 1.3 million now, but um, for a grant for this particular apparatus. And, um, but also you get to see their narrative. And eventually you craft things. You come up with your own systems. You come up with your own systems of, of how to like conduct the PIA. You come up with your own systems on how to write the grant, the process for doing things. It's like everybody has, a, if you think about this, if I ask you to tie a knot, uh, you'll take the rope in your hand and you'll tie a knot a certain way. And I do this thing in class where I show people, if I ask you to tie an inline eight, maybe you do this and I tie it. If I ask you to tie an inline eight in the other direction, maybe you do this and I tie it. I said, if I ask you to tie that first inline eight, maybe you do it the same way I did. Then if I ask you to tie the inline eight in the other direction, you might just reverse your body and tie the same knot you just tied, but you're facing a different <laughs> right, direction. Right, so the right. knot's now going in a different direction. Either way, you're giving me the end result I'm asking for. Right. That's your system. So what I learned to do is not micromanage people's systems. And so when I created my own systems, that was very helpful for me. It was easier, and I'll give you an example. When I eventually became a deputy chief, 
<clears throat> I had a tactical worksheet that I used, but that tactical worksheet at every structure fire I went to was also my report template. And the report template was actually the template for the PIA. So there was a lot of commonality. There was, there was a lot of, hey, this is a system. You don't just show up and wing it and try to figure it out like it's the first time. If you do that, you're heading for trouble. You got to show up with a game plan for everything. And being in a position like the training officer allows you to create those types of systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I wouldn't disagree. I feel like uh, you become very resourceful, as I, I as I say, uh, you know, the networking thing that I that I oftentimes talks about talk about uh, that was done through necessity as a training officer. You know, so even working with the federal government, right. even working at the at at, at West Point. We didn't have the you know fire department didn't have the budget that that, that people would think and, and we're not uh, eligible for grant money because we're federal government right so we had gotten resourceful I was actually one point uh, years back I had texted you because we were building a, a training building out of conics boxes and I said you got any friends down at the port because my brother used to be a longshoreman there but he didn't work there anymore <laughs> and uh, I was like you got any friends down at the port that yeah. can get me the pins. To, to marry the boxes together and you were like let me see you know like that's that's how it goes yeah. you know i mean you, you just start tapping into any resource you have to try to put together a program that's going to be uh applicable to the mission and to the growth of your firefighters and and uh, right. i never realized how right. how resourceful you become until you take on that training officer role because you're you have a limited budget uh, you never realize how good you are at writing policies until you take on that training officer. Well, you know, they say, oh, when you become the chief, it's when you learn to write policies. It's like, well, said every chief that was never through that went through the training division because you know, we all we do right, is we write right. lesson Perfect. plans, policies, procedures, you know, and we have to do the investigations for on the job injuries, when, health right. and safety. We're doing it. <clears throat> you know, they don't realize. Now, think it, about so. this. Uh, like. My first few years in training, I, I'd, I'd written, I, I believe it was 50. SOGs, we call them standard operating guidelines. Actually, they started as general operating guidelines, changed to standard operating guidelines, but um, essentially, you know, almost the same as the standard operating procedure. The difference is a guideline gives you a little bit more wiggle room, a little bit more, hey, circumstances dictate procedures type, mm -hmm. um, uh, I guess, uh, mindset. But um, I had written them, and I remember thinking that first of all not there wasn't much originality in any of them i was gra i was grabbing information from multiple different sources and getting like do you have a, a policy on this or do you have that or, or, or researching it we went down to a call um a, a bomb threat at a local uh, store a very big store you know walmart and um when i show up there's two young officers there and I get out of my car. I have an engine behind me and another one coming up and the officers walk up to me and says, and everybody's evacuated. He goes, uh, so what do we do? I said, I said, I'm just here. If something goes boom, I said, uh, I think this is a police matter really. And, uh, he goes, ah, oh, and they look at their young cops. They didn't know what to do. And so, yeah, we went in, we, we, you know, called the proper people, did the proper thing. And, but at the end of the day, I came back home and I spent the next three days off duty, um, researching fire department's jobs at a bomb threat. Mm -hmm. And we're able to put together uh, a, a thing, which ultimately this, and, and this isn't 
meant to be a book plug, but you know, uh, I had written a book with Mike Turpak, Five Round Operational Guides, but a lot of the stuff I was researching just to help myself, because here's the thing you don't know. As the training officer, or you know, but I mean, some people may not know. As a training officer on my job, you also rode on calls. You went on calls. You know, so as a deputy chief, obviously I went on calls and things happened, but even as a training officer early on, um, if we were short, I would fill in at the right. station, usually where the office was, ride on calls. I'm going upstairs, downstairs. It was a great, it, that was a great day for the firefighters because they're like, hey, we got like, it's like having a substitute teacher and he's never in the room because I'm always <laughs> up there. Mm-hmm. But it was a terrible day for me because yeah. I got to run on calls. I got to do the reports. Um, <clears throat> but I wanted to say something because I just, I have this on my desk right now and it's not because, I was going to be talking to you, but <laughs> this right here, West Point Leadership Profiles of Courage. Okay. This, look at this thick book. Man. I know. I know. Uh, this, this is something, yeah, this is something I thumbed through now. And then I picked it up when I was up at West Point and, uh, you know, features a whole bunch of West Point graduates and leadership lessons from them. And I told you this a while ago and, uh, oh man, what a, what a, blessing to have the opportunity to walk the grounds <clears throat> that some of the greatest minds uh, ha- have have walked and right. at that in that same breath I remember when I went up there uh, to speak one time I remember I'm teaching principles I learned from people like um, Schwarzkopf and people like Hal Moore who graduated from West Point Academy Mm-hmm. And I remember speaking to people that were high up, not not associated with the fire department, but high up right there at the academy that thanked me for coming in with that message and saying, this is a message we need here. And I'm thinking, wait, this is a message that came from here. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Came, like this message, this is full circle. I'm giving you stuff that I, I'm learning from you. And they're saying this is a message we need, which makes me realize that whatever your position and specifically being a training officer, you have to understand you have the ability to gather information to make your organization better and to uh, and you have the responsibility to do that, not just the ability, the responsibility to make it better for everybody, whether or not you were <clears throat> given a position because you asked for it, because some people do. Right. I mean, I know people that took the position for multiple reasons. It's a daytime job and I could be home every uh, night uh, and I want to co- I coach my kids wrestling so I can coach his wrestling. I could be home for dinner. And they actually took it for reasons like that. And I know people that, like me, were just told, hey, you know, welcome to the show. Figure it out. Yeah. And then there's other people that, hey, this is the process. When you get promoted, you spend this much time here, and it's different for everybody based on the speed of the promotions. But you'll spend time here before you move on. And and some people, that's just really the position they want. And those are the people mm-hmm. that I honestly love the most because – like they really want to make a difference. Right. They're not, they're sitting there going, Hey man, I don't just want to be here. I want to be here and I want to make this place better. And I love that right. because not everybody has that. I didn't start that way. That was built in a little bit later. And that's not, so what you just said, that's not easy either. So just for the listener, I want them to understand, you know, like what Frank just said, like, like that aspect is not always well received. Uh, so uh, not airing out dirty laundry, but I just, uh, 
for what works for me and the thing I admire from the people that I've, I've sat in as a student in their classes is when they tell me real life stories. So I'm going to share briefly one real quick. So, um, years ago, uh, when I had first gotten to West Point, uh, we had a staff meeting. I was there for a few months and uh, I was assessing and learning and kind of, you know, getting a lay of the ground. Right. And mistakenly, uh, I didn't choose the way I articulate my words properly. It wasn't meant to be an insult. It was meant to be just what you just said was, you know, I wanted to make the place better and I wanted to make the firefighters better. I wanted to capitalize on this opportunity and and I, and and I kind of wanted to make that sort of uh, like my my tenure there. Like if I'm going to be here, I'm going to be here. I'm not just going to exist, but I'm going to be like I'm not going to be a footnote, right? Um, and uh, and I had said, you know, they said, okay, well, you know, training, you know, so so what are you what are your plans? And I said, well, I said, you know, I said um, we have a lot of opportunities here. We have a lot of missions that we're involved with. And you know, you know, having gone up there and and, and knowing a few of us that had worked there. <laughs> You know, it's what's what's unknown to a lot of the general public is West Point is 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 very involved with a lot of facets um, as multiple fire departments are. But the fire department there is, you know, they do water rescue, river rescue. uh, They do ice rescue. um, They do technical rescue. They do high lines. They're they're repelling off of mountains um, and they also do um, uh, pickoffs out of a UH-60 helicopter, the fire department. You know, is, is, is coming down out of a helicopter and picking somebody off that's stuck in the water or on a mountain and hooking them and going. Right. And this is something that we had to design a training program for something I never knew thought I was going to do. I didn't knew nothing about helicopters. You know what I mean? Like other than they're in the air, you know? Um, <clears throat> and um, yeah. And uh, and I had to learn everything I could about. So I, I had said this. I said, you know, I said, we do everything here. I said, I find no excuse on why we're not the, the, the Army's uh, number one fire department because the Army has these awards that they do every year on, uh, you know, best chief, best fire department, all this stuff, right? So uh, so I was like, you know, I'm tired of seeing these other fire departments that I know don't have the mission we have or the skill set that we have not getting Army or Army Fire Department of the year. So so my goal is is that we can, we can get there, you know, because I feel like everybody needs to know what it is that we do. And that was received – uh, by one individual, not everybody else, but by one, um, like, oh, well, you know, uh, we're not good enough now. And, uh, and, you know, and then I was, I was met with a level of resistance. So, so what I say to people, right. you know, the, for the listener, just go piggybacking off of what you said is it's not easy to go into that position if you care and, and that you want to develop. Right. And, and it can be perceived as an insult when you suggest to somebody who already thinks that they're, they're on their game that they can do better. Okay. Um, so, but also this, let's go one step further, yeah. Dave, because if you don't mind, it could also be something where, and this happened to me where, where I would organize a training and I would hear, you know, uh, the rumblings throughout the department about it. Like, what does he know about this? And oh, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, like he wants to go out and train on this and this one. Right. He didn't want to do that as a firefighter. Like I, I had all that, all of that stuff existed. That's what we do as human beings, man. We fall into this. I mean, I was just watching a video this morning, a, a parody. It's a video where a guy's sitting down with uh, some coworkers, some people that are not working. He goes, okay. So the first thing I want you to say, if anybody here, uh, has a question about anything, I want you to raise your hand. And if you're offended by anything, 
you could also raise your hand and all of a sudden three hands go up. Yeah, you're Wait, right. so so what do you tell me that I need to ask you I need to ask your permission like if I'm offended I, I and then all of a sudden and it just snowballs. Everything wow. he says, it continues to snowball to where he can't win. The cancel culture, right? Right. I hate the cancel culture. Right. Because if if the cancel culture was was fair, everyone would be canceled. Right. Everyone. No one's right. safe. Because every one of us. No one's safe. Every exactly. One of us, I agree. <clears throat> right. No one's safe. Like, uh, right. And, and this whole thing of, of, yeah, I can go back eight years and find one thing. Okay. <laughs> now think about this. You can go back eight years and find something I put on Twitter and say, sure. look what he said eight years ago. Yeah. I'm thinking if you had to go back eight years, I got a pretty good run going. <laughs> seven and a half years. Yeah. I've been, I've been where you, I didn't offend you for seven and a half years. <laughs> right? Like seven and yeah. a half years. You're going to find a one from eight yeah. years ago. And that, but but that's that's the culture we live in today. And and um, personally, I, I I'm not a fan of it. I hate it. I sometimes am am as politely as I can. I mean, even when I do my seminars now, uh, I go out there and I say, um, "Listen, uh, without question, I'll probably by accident." offend somebody in this room i got yeah. 250 people in the room i can't imagine i'm going to speak for six hours and not it's offend a mathematical certainty, so i'm going yeah. to ask for you right exactly so i'm going to ask for your um uh, understanding beforehand right this is what i need you to know i'm not in any way shape or form intending to offend anybody in this room in any way if i do i hope we can be mature enough to realize that we can disagree with each other and still be friends because I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I'm a New York Yankees fan and everybody that who's not in this area hates the Yankees, right? So I say I'm a New York Yankees fan out in Boston and they're like, whoa, I go, see, you can't get any worse than that. So we can only build from here. I said, here's the deal. I despise the team you cheer for, but I still respect you. Yep. But but when when you're the training officer, you're putting yourself in a position to where now you're a little bit more vocal, a little bit more visual, and a little bit more hands-on. So with that will, without question, come criticism, critics. And you just have to deal with it. When I was first assigned to the training officer, I'm, how old am I? I'm uh, 28 years old. And when I was first assigned as a training officer, and here I am, 28 years old, so I'm a man. You're 28. And at 28 years old, I was terrible at dealing with criticism. Mm -hmm. I hated mm -hmm. it. I was still very much affected by other people's opinions of me. And as a dad now of three boys, um, I'm trying to explain to my boys right now, you, you don't let anybody in your head. If they have their opinion, let them have it. It's right. like, it's like, honestly, it's like like this phone right here if i were to offer you this phone as a gift like this is a gift that i want to give you and you said no thanks i have a phone guess what you just didn't accept the gift that i offered you well if i offer you words my opinion of you you don't have to accept that either right and that's what i'm trying to explain to them that uh and on that same note i'm also trying to teach them don't be that person that criticizes other people mm -hmm. because it gets back to them. I, I heard everybody. I mean, it, it, this is a funny story. Okay. This is a funny story. <clears throat> I was really working hard 
in that office. Now I had at this point already created 50 SOPs. I had done some of the stuff we talked about. I'd gotten us some grant money. <clears throat> I was getting buildings that were being knocked down, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, by, by builders. Uh, they're being knocked down one families and building two and three families and sell them. I was legally acquiring them. We were, so we're doing full scale training. Sure. I'm really proud of all the stuff that we're doing. And as we're doing this stuff, um, somebody, uh, I go down to one of the, uh, stations and <clears> one <throat> of the guys says, Hey, show, show Captain Viscuso the knot. And they're all laughing. He goes, what? He goes, show him the knot. And the guy's like, no, no, no. He goes, no, go show him. Now I know in retrospect, they're like, because he has a good, me, he has a good sense of humor. So he'll just laugh at it. Okay. And this is what he does. He goes, look, check this out. So this, this knot, we call it the Captain Viscuso knot. And he ties a knot. He goes, look, it does nothing and slips out at four. It was a slip knot. Uh, and I was like, you don't think I'd do anything? And they kind of mm -hmm. laughed, and I was like, I'm like really insulted. Mm -hmm. But then he goes, yeah, check out this one. This is the chief so-and-so knot, and he doubles it up and slips out at four. And I thought, uh -huh. wow, man. I'm like, you don't know what happens in that office, because I, although I'm right. mostly there alone, the chief is there when he's not riding and filling in. So I left there, and I'm like, oh. And now, this wasn't a tattletale thing. This was me like being like really... Like, we need to educate these guys of what we do. I go back and I tell the deputy in the office, I go, you won't, you know, this is what this guy did. He goes, let me show you the captain's excuse or not. And he ties the slip knot. Look, does nothing and slips out of four. And and the deputy laughs. And I'm like, even he thinks that's funny? Maybe I should have just laughed at it. I go, oh, well, then he did the chief so-and-so, meaning him, the chief so-and-so not, does nothing, slips out of four. And he goes, what? He got in his car. He went right down there and went right at that guy. Right, 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 I'm right. Like, Whoa. Okay, so now when it's you, yeah, it's not funny anymore. Yeah, right. But yeah, but when it's at my expense, now, it's funny. <clears throat> it won't be exactly. So now I need to. I need you to notice. There's years later. Years later. Um, now I realize it wasn't an insult. It was firefighters just being firefighters because that guy has told me more than once. And matter of fact, even I'm retired four years now. I just ran into him not too long ago, and he just texted me about a week and a half ago, no joke, uh, and saying, hey, man, I'm really proud of everything you've accomplished for our department when you were That's there, cool. man. You were great for us, and you helped. Yeah, so, like, the truth is, like, they do see it. They'll see what you do. But at the time, you got to be willing to – you got to have to be able to deal with that kind of stuff, because it's going to happen in anything you do. It has nothing to do with a training officer in anything you do. Mm -hmm. If you step out, you're going to have critics. Yeah, I, uh, I would definitely agree with that. I think that um, in my time while I was uh, the officer up there, I didn't know if um, the fruit of my labor was ever going to be something that I would witness. Um, you know, I was I was trying to learn it myself. I was trying to meet their expectations, trying to better myself and learn things that I didn't know that I was responsible for facilitating and managing. Right. Um, and I had gotten jokes like that. Um, you know, I had one guy that was really, I mean, he was a bully. It, it just is what it is. You know, I had a guy that was really a bully to me uh, and that was a hard time for me um, because it makes you, well, you know, cause you, you know, you know me personally. So like I'm a sensitive guy. 
uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, my birthday's this month, so I'm actually I'm a, I'm a cancer, so I'm, it's, it's perfect. I'm a crab, right? So, so the outside, I, I have this you know kind of hard thing, but I'm I'm really soft. So, um, so this guy was 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 real hard on. And, uh, and, and, but I actually, so I love that you, you, you said what you do, what you do with your kids, because I try to do the same thing with my kids, especially my daughter. My daughter struggles, uh, a little bit with, uh, with, with some, some bullying stuff and, and it's hard. So you have boys and I have a son and, 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 but it's harder with, with your daughter, but uh, trust me when I tell you, it just, it sucks. Yeah. Um, so where I'm going with this is. I try to do the exact same thing you're saying to her, you know, like I don't have to accept those words. I don't have to accept what they say. However, the flip side to that is people like us. Okay. Like, like my, uh, magnetic attraction to you as I've come up in, in our thing, uh, is because I know that this was not easy for you to be who you are for yeah, our thing. Right. And a lot of people don't intimately know that part. Right. And, and I can empathize with this because I am younger. So I'm going through it. The things that you went through or have gone through already, you know, the things that you went through. And I, I, I say this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this lead up just because of the listener, right. Cause of what we're doing, not just you and I talk. And these are things you're familiar with. Right. Um, some of that is also good. Some of that construction, constructive stuff, uh, isn't meant to be constructive from the from the the deliverer, right? From 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 the person saying it, but the person receiving it can can turn it into it being constructive. Um, so there were times, and you and I had talked, you know, uh, where, where I had, you know, you talk about internet stuff you do years back, and I had stupid goofy videos I made trying to become a comedian type thing uh, that were years yeah, old, I remember, and then I remember and, telling and, you know, yeah. and then a person that wishes, you know, is giving you the horns. <laughs> found the videos and tried to, to hurt me. Right. Uh, and it was, it was a hard time for me. And I had talked to you to, you know, basically talk me off the ledge type thing. So where I'm going with this is like, these things make you better. Also, uh, people will try to discredit your ability. They will make jokes at your expense. They will imply that you don't know what you're doing, especially in that training officer role, because you said, chief, you know, people don't know what we do. We have to do a better job of educating people. And it's not to like, like to try to sell, like I'm working too, you know, but it is, it's like, until you're, I always, you know, make the joke, like everybody wants to be in charge of training until they're in charge of training. Right. Um, there's a lot more to it. Well, they and, like, to, they like to criticize the people in charge of training. That's what they like right. to criticize the people in charge of training until, until they see what it, what it entails. But right. you have to put that aside and just focus on hey, what is it? And focus on the people. I mean, first of all, and I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, no, I no, 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 no. But, but I do want to, so um, I had a, a conversation with a buddy of mine who's a general in the army, but at the time he was a colonel in charge of uh, our infantry at Fort Benning, Georgia. He was in charge of the infantry program. And I grew up with him. I went to, to uh, we, we were on the battlefield many times together playing peewee football. Okay. That battlefield. <laughs> and so, nice. um, so yeah. And then he's now as a general in the army. And one day we're talking about um, micromanaging. I had him on my podcast, actually, and, and some of the conversation had be, happened before, some after, uh, like it typically does when you're talking about the show. And um, I said, do you ever micromanage? He says, no, never. He said it so quickly, I was taken back because I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm thinking in the Army, there's a lot he of micromanagement sure that himself. happens. 
Right. But he's like, nope, never. And I go, never? He says, no. I said, but I mean, and I started talking about discipline. He goes, no, 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 no. Discipline's important. He says, uh, discipline to correct behavior as opposed to discipline to punish is important. He says, and having discipline is important. But he says, Frank, when's the last time you put out a fire? I said, we, uh, we knocked one down a couple weeks ago. He goes, but when's the last time you put out a fire? And I'm thinking he doesn't understand my terminology. So I said, well, we had a great stop, put out a fire a couple of weeks ago. He goes, yeah, but where were you? I said, at the command post. He goes, exactly. You didn't put out the fire. The firefighter with the hose line put out the fire. He says, now you exist to serve that person. Mm-hmm. Your job is to give them everything they need to be successful because if they're successful, you're successful. If they fail, you fail. So the reason I don't micromanage is because when we're training, I allow them, like I'll set, this is what we're training on. This is the date we're doing it. Like I have a lot of say in that, but at the end of the day, I allow them to make mistakes and figure things out and then I correct them and help them so they can make the decisions because if the boots on the ground fail, I fail. Right. And I thought I like that. that's, yeah. So from that conversation on, I have completely restructured my thought process to my job is to serve them, my team. My job is to serve them in any capacity that I can help. And if, um, if it, it well, it's different. I mean, listen, I, I, I have a business, I'm a coach, uh, my fire service career. The capacity will always be different, but do what you can to serve the team in all aspects. And <clears throat> and uh, and if you if you put them first, then then some of this other stuff goes away. People will see what you're really about. Sure, I I agree with that. And 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 just uh, off of that uh, and tying into what I was saying before, because that the, the uh, I had a I was blessed. I had a guy. Um, this guy, Kenny, uh, he was the prevention chief up there. And he used to say to me, I mean, there were, there were tough times and he would walk into my room and he'd just see me kind of just sitting there checked out. And he's like, Hey, I'm going down to station one to eat dinner. I said, I'm all right. He said, what do you mean? You're all right. I said, I'm all right. I said, you know, I don't think that I'm going to make a mark here. I, I feel like, uh, they don't care about what it is that I'm trying to bring to them. <clears throat> And he said, do you believe in what it is that you're trying to do? I said, I'm trying, Ken. He said, well, stick to your convictions. People will see what it is that you're mm-hmm. trying to do. And, and and it was not easy where I'm going with that. It was not easy being the training officer there. However, <clears throat> it made me better at what I'm doing. And I don't mean that arrogantly. I mean it like I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. Like that adversity made me better at what I'm doing. I, I learned a lot more. I got in sure. tune with, with, with priorities, with my family. And and I got better at my job. Like I started to le- literally learn more and understand that we needed to advocate and educate. That's why I'm you know, doing the book that I'm doing. And I had asked you, and I appreciate you putting the piece in there for it. You know, our position, I know you retired, you know, you, you, you promoted and retired as a deputy chief, but I'm saying that position, you know, that training officer, cause I'm not even the training officer more. Uh, I'm doing ops now. Just that it's such an important role and I feel like it almost should be a prerequisite for, for, for leaders of an organization to go through because it really makes you – you deal with everybody and you deal with a level of adversity that most people don't get to deal with through our, our thing. And more importantly, you learn 
everything you can possibly learn, it, it, not just, and, I, and I'm not going to lie, you know, like I, I love to sexy it up and say, so you can help others, right? Sure. That's 50% of it. The other 50% is so that you can prove the naysayers wrong. Like, no, I do do things here and I'm going to learn everything I can to show you and protect myself and pad myself that what you're just saying is hot air and you won't see it. Like you had said, you know, the gentleman text you uh, later on. And again, I'd be an area like it's nice because while I was there, I had a great time. I learned everything. Who I am today is because of what I did there. And I appreciate those opportunities. But I never got the compliments until after I left. And I've been gone three, a little over three years now. And I'll get a text message. Man, we miss you. You know, oh, man, you know, we're doing this. We wish you were here, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's huge. That's a huge win. It's like, okay, so like what I did, what I was part of, what we did, it had value. It had purpose. Yeah. And, and and I, I share that, not to, not to get uh, soft, it just based off of what you were talking about, you know, for the listener, right? So you got two training officers talking to you. And, you know, I, I say to people, I want you to take it for the right reason. And then, unfortunately, if you didn't take it for the right reason, and I'm not going to pick on you for it. Like, I know that it can be a segue to another ad, uh, avenue of promotion or or whatever, right? But that doesn't mean that you just exist in the position. Okay, so you right. used to do crew, right, right? right? So, like, can you imagine doing crew? Now, I know nothing about this, but I know it's something you used to do, something you were passionate about, right? And having been at West yeah. Point, I got a crew team, you know. Can you imagine a person that was on that team that kind of just sat there? Like, where would where would the boat go? You know what I mean? Like, you would just be sitting right, in the right. water. Yeah, now you're just dra- you're dragging dead weight. You're dragging right. dead weight. You know, it, we used to. And everybody have, else and has to compensate for for that. Right, right, right. And we have a name for those people. We call them sandbags. Mm. It's like dragging a sandbag around. I like that sandbag. Uh, yeah, no, you you have you have to. Um, you, you you hit the nail on the head with a couple of things. Yeah, like when when they said, "Do you believe in what you're doing?" That's number one. You have to believe in what you're doing. You have to understand you can make a difference. You have to try to say, you know, uh, um, what is it that this organization needs? So you're in a training officer position. It's not a bad idea to have conversations with everyone you can within your organization. Say, what would you like to see? changed in this organization because some of that stuff you are now you will have the power to change you know maybe it's like hey we need some we need this and this fixed i mean it's ridiculous that this piece of equipment is the one we're still working on and maybe you have the ability to be an influence to get that equipment or through a grant or through other sourcing and uh yeah but that's from listening to your members and and just now i mean honestly here's another thing the skill set that you learn uh, there is a life after the fire service, okay? The skill set that you learn can help you uh, transition into other things because you will have presentation skills because you're going to be presenting a lot to people. You will have writing skills. And, wh- and if that intimidates anybody, I'm not a good writer. You're speaking to a best-selling author who types with these fingers. Yeah, you don't have to be great. I'm serious, man. I mean, Mm. it's not you figure out anything you do, you become good at anything you do regularly, you will become good at at some point. Mm. And maybe it's like, hey, this isn't this isn't it. But, you know, I have 
I have something on my mind. I just feel it compelled to share right now. And I touched on this before we started the podcast, but I have a good friend from high school that just passed away yesterday. And, um, in a, in a uh, uh, unexpected car accident. Okay. And uh, I'm going to tell you about this guy, uh, financially very successful. He was in the finance industry, chasing his dream of becoming an actor and working all the time about the land, a, a very big deal to, um, and I won't get into all of that, but I can tell you he was, uh, he was driving to or from somewhere and, uh, had an accident. He died. And I was talking to several friends because, I mean, I see it on social media. That's how you find out about this stuff. Hours after it happens, mm -hmm. you see it. And then, you know, and he's out and lives out in another state. And I'm commenting and people and I post something. And and uh, we my best friend is one of his creative partners in writing. And I called him up and I'm like, man, he goes, he goes, he goes, you knew before me. I was out to dinner. He goes, I'm Frank. He goes, that quick, that quick, it's over, it changes. Totally. And I said, well, this is the thing. I said, I said, he's a guy who maybe by some people was even ridiculed. I don't know, but maybe because he's chasing this dream of becoming an actor. I said, but he lived, he, he honestly, and I'll just say this, I don't normally even say this stuff on podcasts, but he, his per, he was kicking life's ass. He really was in a good way because he was like, man, this is what I'm about. This is what I believe in. This is what I want to achieve. This is what I want to accomplish. And he just went after it. And he was a guy that liked to help people. And I'll tell you one story about him. And it's not really about him. I want this to be about the listener. I want you to go after this life you want to create. And I want you to not sit back and wait, whether you're in a training officer position or not. Um, he calls me up one day. He's like, hey, man, do you know anybody? This is years ago. I've told this story many, many years. I've told this story in my class. He says, you know, anybody, um, uh, what was the first question? Oh, no, no. What happened was he posted this, first of all. He said, um, if anybody would like to help this family out, please do so. And he posted this thing uh, about this kid um, that I suppose, um, and I know now, but he was high on the autism spectrum. And he was a teenager and his mom basically said that he uh, he uh, never had anybody come to his birthday parties, even though they, he always invited kids. And she said, so this year we want to try something different. If anybody knows anybody uh, that would be willing to send a birthday card, please send it to this post office box. And when I saw him post that, I thought, how cool is that? That he, you know, so I'm figuring he knows her and I'm, Immediately thinking, you know, at that post office box is not far from me. I know every firefighter around here and I'm in a training office position. I said, uh, let me reach out to him and see if maybe I could connect something to get somebody to go there and and uh, and a fire engine maybe stop by. So I reach out to him. His name's Dennis. I said, Dennis, listen, I saw that thing you just posted on Facebook. Who is that woman? He says, oh, I, I don't know. But so and so posted another friend from high school. He says, uh, why? I said, well, I'm thinking maybe I could set it up to have a fire engine go and visit this kid. And he says, Frank, that would be amazing. You think you could do that? I said, if we could find out where he lives, I think I can. He goes, give me, give me a little time to figure this out. He gets back to me. He says, I found her. 
if you don't mind, I, I, I tracked down the woman and I gave her your number. So she's going to be calling you, but here's her number in case she doesn't. I said, this is fantastic. Thank you. A little bit later, I'm in the office, man. A little bit later, I get a phone call from the woman. She says, ah, I was told you were, wanted to get a hold of me. And so I said, yeah. I basically said, um, you know, I work as a, in a training division here in the fire department. And, uh, and it looks like your post office is not far from me. And I was just wondering where you live. Turns out she's right down the block. Right. I mean, we're talking like six, seven houses away. I said, okay. I said, um, I said, would you think your son would be, would want to see like a fire engine stop by? She says, oh, I think he would love that. I said, really? I said, because I think I can make that happen. I mean, now it's my department, by the way. It's my department. Now I can definitely make it happen. So uh, in conversation, we said this. I, uh, I said, um, do you, did anyone send any cards? And she goes, oh, yeah, we got like over 100. I said, that's fantastic. We come up with the idea of the fire department picking up the cards at the post office and delivering them. And then I say, well, does your son, is he like into anything? Does he like uh, watch any TV show? She says he really likes professional wrestling. I'm like, does he have any of those action figures? She says uh, one or two. I said, would you mind if I run down? I can go down to Walmart today. And, I, and by the way, this is all happening tomorrow. So the next, that's his birthday. The next day, I said, uh, would you mind if I run down to Walmart? I pick him up some uh, some figures. And she's silent. I thought I lost connection. I said, hello. And she says, why would you do this for me? You don't even know me. I said, because you're part of our community and our community is our family. I went down and I picked up three action figures, paid for it out of my own money, right? Honestly, I, it's nothing. And I didn't say for that reason, I'm saying I'm not looking for a fire department budget. I'm not trying to go through all this stuff. Let's, and then, and the, and this is this is true what I'm telling you right now. The very next day, I was teaching in West Point Academy. God's honest truth. So I couldn't even be there for this. But I spoke to the deputy that was coming on duty, Chief Osborne. I told him about it. He goes, hey, listen, we'll go pick up a cake. We got some new recruits. I'll bring them. I'll call the police department. I'll call EMS. And they had like a caravan come by and celebrate this boy's birthday. It was amazing. She sent me photos saying, thank you so much for doing it. Now, when you, and this, I'm starting off talking about Dennis, my friend, because he lost his life, but that's the type of person he was and that's the way he lived. But I'm also tying this into how this relates to our profession and how if you're in a training division or you're a deputy or a battalion chief, uh, you have the ability to organize this type of stuff. And to, and to reach out to your community, and it may not seem like this is anything special, but the mom of that boy said this was the most amazing birthday he's ever had. Yeah. And I can't thank you enough for what you've done. Take advantage of this opportunity. Sure. You know, we go around life one time. And, and you know, I don't want to get I don't want to get all sentimental on anybody, but but the reality is, man, you have the ability to make a difference as a firefighter just to begin with. You have an ability to make a greater difference as a training officer because now you have you can you can and this sounds wrong but you can pull some strings and make things happen you can make things happen that you can't just as a firefighter and quite honestly you can't just as an officer but you can when you're the training officer so i hope people know that this goes way beyond just training and planning and administration we're also talking about making a difference in the community you serve at a higher level yeah I, uh yeah 
So, I mean, one, uh, you know, uh, like I said to you before, you know, I'm sorry about your, your, your loss with your friend that. No, I, pr- does, I appreciate that. You know, I appreciate that. That does suck. And then, uh, you, you know, this, this story is, it is beautiful. You know, it's, uh, it, that is a bit, just that piece of it is, is not just in the training officer piece, but just in the, in life, uh, you know, don't be selfish. Uh, you know, we have one opportunity in life, right? I say to people, there's two things that are certain in your fire service career, you're going to retire and you're going to die. Um, so you got one opportunity to, 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 to do the, make the best decision that you can in the moments that are given to you because, you know, they're not always there. And then, and then you don't want to, um, live in this level of regret later or, or, or whatever, you know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, if I could give okay. one more bit of advice to anybody sure. in a training officer, just one more bit of advice. It, it comes down to this. When you leave the office and you go home, leave the office at the office. Yeah. Don't bring it home. That's hard. Don't bring advice. It home you, it, you know, you're going to feel it is hard if I, you're going to, because you're going to have some deadlines and you're going to have, Hey, I have to get this done at this certain amount of time. You'll feel the stress of that. Don't let it weigh you down. Leave it there. It's a job. You're going to get the job done. Um, and I don't know if I remember the way that this was worded, but um, don't let a job kill you because when you do die, the, the, the post will go out looking for someone to fill your position before the post for your obituary. Sure. You know sure. what I mean? Sure. So don't kill yourself over a job that's not going to love you back. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I know gonna, I, I got, worded that I completely wrong. Up. I'm going to pull this thing up real quick because I want to I want to show you. My father got this for me. Hold on. <clears throat> okay. All right. So it says. See, now, listen, Dave, you need to know this. Now, everybody just got a shot of, of your sexy legs right now. So this shorts. whole thing yeah, just that's went all right. different. <laughs> so it says. What's it say it, now? It says, never get so busy making a living that you forget to make a life, you know, and my father got yep. that for me, awesome. you know, cause he, 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 my father's very proud of, 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 uh, the successes that I've had. Right. So like, uh, and I know that you, this is a, a situation you can clearly empathize with, but you know, um, I have been traveling quick. Uh, you know, I was down in Alabama a few weeks back. I was down in Kansas last week and then this past week. And I just got back from Missouri last week, you know, and then I'm doing this this morning. And uh, and then I go right back to the firehouse tomorrow for 24 hours. And my father, you know, he said to me you know, about everything's happening all at once. And uh, and I want you to, 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 to soak it in, but never get too busy that, you, you know, you forget to live your life. Right. And, uh, and I have that hanging up in, 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 in this office room here that I have in my house. Um because my, my father actually bought that for me. Him and I were at a store and, uh, and he saw it and he uh-huh. said, look, that's what I tell you all the time. You know, so just what you just said is, is, uh, you know, enjoy every piece of life. And that's not just our thing. Uh, you know, cause life, there's life after the fire service. Um, you know, like you, and I, and I don't want to uh, drag it on, but I do want to touch on it. Cause, cause it's, it, it's, uh, it ties in together just on, and everything we discuss and, and, the, and the values and the importance and the roles and the responsibilities of the position. But you, you, I know this, not just on social media. Okay. Like, like your social media 
is very much you, you, you are a proud dad and you're a proud family man, you know? Mm. Um, and I love that because it's not just you pushing out motivational content and that's there. And, it, and, and like, I, and you know, like I saw, I've, I've, I've texted you before. I'm like, I needed that today. And then you've, you've said, yeah, like, yeah. so did I, you know, that's why I posted it, you know? Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. That stuff's great that you put that out there. Cause it helps all of us. But I, I, but, but for every two posts that you do that are motivational for the world of, of your followers, right. There's eight about how proud you are of your family and your kids. And I literally love that because, yeah. um, you know, like, like, a, like I, 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 I've shared with you, like, you know, my son, he got very big into baseball this past year or past two years okay. and he's a switch hitter. And I call him Mickey since he was born. Cause I named him Michael and he picked number seven to, for his baseball number. He, I call him Mickey. He's a switch there hitter. He hits better, even though he's predominantly a righty. And I'm like, this is the greatest thing, you know? So, um, I know that, you know, this year I had, I had helped coach, uh, with, with his team. And I know that that's something that you've done with your boys for a while. So, you know, I just wanted you to touch on yeah. that if you didn't mind was just that aspect of like, I feel like a, a lot of our abilities as, as, uh, developers, as training officers, uh, you know, not that it's a prereq for those that don't have kids, but when you have kids and, uh, and especially if you coach your kids, it makes you tap into things that are new methodologies that you weren't using before just my personal thing so i just wanted to if you if you wanted to to just talk yeah. about a little bit of that real yeah quick. well the, i would love to there's a couple of things that i teach the kids in general uh, and one of them is control the controllables and don't focus on the things you have no control over if somebody hits a baseball and you're you're on defense and they hit a baseball and it falls where nobody could have made the play nobody can make the play so that it's over there's, you have no control over that it's over. So forget it. That's another thing. Have a short memory for your wins and your losses. They're over. You know, there's, I can't tell you a kid made it, makes a bad pitch on our team. Something bad happens. He looks at me being his coach. And I say, it's over. It's over. Next play, next pitch, you know, so control the co controllables, have a short memory. And here's another one. Never let the moment be bigger than you. Mm. Never let the moment be bigger than you. These are three things that I teach my, my kids regularly. And uh, and it's pretty special. Like I, I coach down in Tom's River East Little League, which is a very, uh, quite honestly, it's a famous little league. And I got a book right here also written about our little league. And um, uh, they won the Little League World Series 25 years ago. And we're trying to get back. Uh, they got back there two years ago, um, just missed it by one game last year. We're hoping to get you know a team with my son on it uh, back again this year. And they just won the uh, World Series championship of our league last night on the way there. Um, and I need you to understand this. Um, I, I had been telling the kids, it's a three-game series. We lost the first game. I've been telling them, um, you're, you're winning this. You're going to be World Series champion. There's no question you are winning these games one at a time. Each game is six innings. So what we focus on is winning six mini games. Anytime we outscore them, that's a win. And anytime we tie them, that's a win if we got the lead. So we're going to, we're going to not just go win a game. We're actually going to win six games and then we're going to win six more games. But, uh, but I'm telling them you're going to win and I'm building this and building this and building this and building this in our head. I even text the parents saying uh, <laughs> yesterday, just before a game, 
I said, uh, um, well, my only requirement is that you have your boys show up to the field with a smile on their face because they're kids playing a kid's game. But at the mm -hmm. end of this game, they will have they'll be the only team in this division to have beaten every team multiple yeah. times because we had to build, beat this team for the second time. Like I'm building. So as we're going there, and here's why I'm telling you a story. As we're going to the field, my son, who's an amazing, fantastic pitcher at his age right now, he works so hard and he got us to the championship game, but now he's ineligible. I don't have him to pitch, but I have another great pitcher whose dad just sent me the most beautiful text I think I've ever read, by the way. Um, but I have a, um, another pitcher and on the way there, my, my son says this to me, he's 12 years old. He goes, dad, something doesn't feel right. I go, what? He says, I don't know. I can't describe it. I said, is it inside of you? He goes, yeah. I said, are you nervous? He says, I think so. I said, you have butterflies. You have butterflies. I said, and all that is, is it's your nerves. It's your mind thinking, what if? And the what if is usually what can go wrong. What if they take a lead? What if they win the game? What right? Is that what's happening? He goes, yeah. I said, well, here's what I want you to do. Turn that off. Turn that off and start saying, what if we win? Mm -hmm. What if? But change it to, there's no what if. When we win. When we do this, because here's the thing, you are a leader on this team. And if you step out of this car and they see doubt or fear in your face, your teammates, they're going to think they can't win. But if you walk up there, high five them and say, hey, we're winning today. They're going to think we can because you believe we can and you're a leader on this team. I said, so. As your dad, I'm going to tell you this. It's okay to feel what you're feeling. It's okay to have fear. It's okay to have doubt. But you don't let anyone see that because you're going to never let the moment be bigger than you. He goes, okay, dad. So this is what happens. We pull up to the thing. The other team's warming up. Some of them, some of our kids are warming up. We pull up and this is what he does. He goes, dad, I am. I'm really nervous. But as soon as I step out of this car, I'm not going to let anybody see it. Yeah. I said, that's great. And I'll tell you what, we won the game. We won the game. And we had the odds against us. I mean, we were told just a couple hours before our number four hitter and his brother, two starters on our team, came down with mono. And, and we weren't going to have, I'm sorry, strep throat. And we weren't going to have, you know, two of our, our, our key players. And I told the kids, I said, I don't know if you know the history of what happened with us this year, but there were two other games we couldn't play with them because they weren't here. And do you know what happened in those two games? And they go, we won. I said, we won. So we're going to win a third one without them. We're going to, as good as they are, for some reason, we play better without them. And they all laugh, <laughs> you know, but, but, um, but the reality is um, you have to set the tone for your kids. You know, because they're going to have fear. They're going to have doubt. Uh, they're going to wonder what the right thing to do. And you got to just tell them what the right thing to do is. And you got to try to remain calm in the process. And mm -hmm. there's also something else that happened in that game. I mean, the and I, this isn't a, this isn't a coaching thing. This is us teaching our kids something. But the other coach put their best player who's their shortstop at second base. Now, when you do that in baseball, that means that you honestly just don't think the kids are going to get around on your pitcher and that they're going to hit everything to second base. Mm -hmm. But he did this to the top of our lineup. 
And the top of our lineup consists of some my son and some pretty good kids. And they said, Dad, he put this player at second base. Why? I said, do you really want to know why? He said, yeah. I said, because he's, he's disrespecting you. Hmm. Because he honestly doesn't think that you three can get the bat around the to put to put that ball to the left side of the field. Right. And he says, Oh, that makes sense. I said, Now it's your choice of what you're gonna do when someone disrespects you that way. Yeah, I told you we never talk with our mouth when we play the game. We talk with our bats uh-huh. and we talk with our gloves. So right now you gotta do all your talking with the bat. If you three, three top players can put the ball to the left side of the field, we're getting three people on base and we're going to get you home and we will win this game because of that coaching oversight. That they did it. We only scored one run in the game. We, we won one nothing by three hits to the left side of the field in the first inning. So, like, these are the types of things that, same thing when you're, when you're coaching people on any team. I love coaching not just baseball, teams, because you set the belief. You set the tone. I could have been completely wrong in what I said. I know the pitcher's phenomenal that we put that pitched against us. He's well, First of all, I absolutely love the kid, and I've coached him myself, and, and if, we're, if our kids are going to get to Williamsport this year, he's going to play a major role in getting us there. So I know he's great, but I also want my kids to know don't let anybody make you think you're not good enough to hit off anybody. Right. Anybody. Because you are. You are. You're battle-tested. Never let the moment be bigger than you. And that's the stuff we focus on. And it applies to everything, not just youth sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, uh, you know, it's it, that's why I said it's it's important because you grow uh, with, with your methodology. You know, if you coach – you know, uh, day in and day out when you're working with your people, uh, you're coaching people. Right. And, and you also do some self-coaching. You do some coaching with yourself to get yourself through some some things. But but those things, you know, uh, when you're in a position like that, you know, where you're where you're somebody's father, you're somebody's coach and you're somebody's leader or, or like, you know, the, the, the show, you know, the training officer. Right. Um, yep. You're in a position of influence. And um, yeah. People are, are uh, you know, people are very impressionable and uh, what say makes a difference. Um, and that's why, you know, it's important that we understand how to uh, get people through certain things. The same thing goes in the fire service, you know, um, there's certain aspects of training uh, where, you know, we got to do bailout, right? That can be nerve wracking for some folks. Um, so, you know, they go through that butterfly thing and that, and that, and that's like you said about butterflies, it's, you know, it's, it, my father used to say that to me all the time growing up playing pop Warner football and, and, and baseball, you know, I would get scared and he would say, you're not scared. They're butterflies. You, you're able to do it. You're butterflies because you're nervous. Something's going to go wrong and you're part of it. That's a good thing. That's humility. Once the game starts, yeah. you know, those butterflies are going to go away, you know, and I actually use, yeah, I love that you said about butterflies. My father used to say it to me, you know, and, and I, and I say it uh, to the guys now, like we were doing bailout training, you know, and some folks were nervous, you know, and, and, and uh, I'm like, listen, these are just butterflies. Like, it's just funny. Like, I'm like, you know, like, this is something my father used to say to me when I was a kid playing pop Warner football, 
Yeah. And now I'm saying it to right. grown men in the fire service. Like, yeah, just yeah. butterflies, yeah. you know, like you're not scared. It's not that you're incapable of doing this thing, you know? And I, and I just, I, I, I found it interesting, like this piece of advice, this coaching piece of advice that I'm able to, to, to implement into, into my methodology as a training officer to people, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, what we do matters in every facet um it matters yeah yeah and, and it's and not just in, in the personal, firehouse in their personal yeah. life too right yeah right yeah, because we had we had a couple um throughout the years we had uh one or two firefighters that had a fear of heights i remember one specifically that two actually but one specifically that's coming to mind who um uh had challenges with claustrophobia that's not pretty good for a firefighter you know but we helped them through it but but part of of my ability to deal with stuff like that is because I can empathize with that. I wasn't extremely comfortable when I put a mask on. We talked about Mike Turpak. I mentioned his name earlier. The very first time I ever put a mask on was at the academy going into my first fire. It's a controlled burn. I, well, was, I don't remember if it was propane or hay, to be honest with you. It might have been hay. But it's a controlled burn. And um, uh, I put the mask on. And he must have been able to see my face. And I went in, I did the job. Of, we followed him the first time. And we come out. And uh, I remember him saying to me, uh, you're not comfortable? I said, no. He said, you'll get used to it. It's okay. That's your first time, right? I said, yeah. He goes, yeah. Anytime you do something for the first time, you're going to be uncomfortable. He goes, right. but you'll be fine. That meant the world to me. That meant the world to me because what I didn't want is for him or anyone to know that I was uncomfortable because I thought they'd be like, oh, look at this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And then I come I come to find out later that uh, a lot of people go through that. You know, yeah. a lot of people go through that to where they're like, man, it's a new environment, man. You're stepping. You know, it's not like you, you, you step into, hey, you're going to go surfing. And the first time you ever catch a wave, you're going to stand up and, and, and catch a tube. And no, you're going to probably fall right on your face. And then you're going to get up and you're going to ride the next wave and ride the next wave. And then all of a sudden, somebody's going to go, hey, he's pretty good. Yeah, he's been doing it for four years. That's why he's pretty good. Yeah. But the first yeah, that- time, you know, we I got my neighbor, my neighbor across the street. The kid's, um, I think he's now 15 or 16 years old. He's a phenomenal sort of sponsor. He's a sponsored surfer. Okay. That's cool. Three years ago. Yeah. Three years ago, we're at the beach because our families are good friends. I pushed him on his very first wave, a styrofoam board. I pushed him when the wave came yeah. in and he stood up on his very first wave. And now you got to see his Instagram. He was just in Venezuela surfing. I mean, it's just, it's the kid's phenomenal. Yeah. And, and now my son's like, Hey, I want to surf like Joey. I want to surf like Joey. I'm like, well, Hey, I mean, I don't know how to teach you how to surf, but I can push <laughs> you on your first wave and he could probably t- tell you the rest. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's, you, know, you get good at the things you do. Right. And that's the cool thing is like you said, you know, like, uh, like that it's, it's, it's that humanistic piece of it. Um, you know, you, we can't pretend to be, uh, exempt and we also can't ridicule people who, who get scared of things, uh, you know, kind of passing that piece of it on. Like, like I've failed tests. So I have guys that I work with that have failed, uh, their written exam on things. And I'm like, Hey man, it's okay. You know, like, uh, these things happen. Uh, I think that, just at least speaking for myself in my, in my, in, in, in working with people and then what's worked for me when people were working with me. Um, I, uh, 
I've been more receptive and people have been more receptive to the approach when I deliver it is if you can empathize. You know, I, I oftentimes say empathy is a huge tool. It works. And the reason why is because um, I'm, a, I'm a Catholic. I'm not knocking priests. But like, you know, if I have a problem, my wife, I'm not going to talk to the priest about it because he doesn't really understand the problems that I go through. You know, and I'm like, my wife is a Puerto Rican woman. You don't know what I'm dealing with right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but, um, yeah, but like, yeah. you know, like, hey, listen, did you just say a moment ago? Did you say, yeah, empathy is powerful. And empathy is is attempting to see things through another person's perspective. It's different than sympathy. Sympathy, you feel sorry for them. Empathy, you're trying to put yourself in their shoes. And it's right. a powerful trait for a leader. It's a necessary trait for a great leader, but a powerful trait. And I'd say I'd put it in the top five. And um, uh, have, an, have an empathy for the people that you serve and the people that you're serving, for sure, um, whether they're associated with your organization or the customer or the community that you serve. But you said a moment ago that you failed tests before. You want to know something? Here's, here's a fun fact, Dave. I've never failed a test in my life. I'm just kidding. I failed plenty of them. I'm just kidding. The fact of the matter is, when I was younger, real and I used to get tests back. <laughs> no, I used to get tests back with the big red F on it. I thought it was for Frank. I'm like, oh, look, give me a <laughs> there <you> go. <laughs> At least I'm that's what you would tell yourself. Proud, look at <laughs> Yeah, look at that big F, and you know, like for Frank. I mean, uh, you know, and here I am, a kid bringing it home. My parents are like, "You failed." I'm like, "What? What's that?" You know, yeah, all these other red marks underneath it are the corrections. You see that X for number four, six, eight, nine, and eleven? That means you got them wrong, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, but I, but uh, but I can also tell you this. Um, no, I, I wasn't a great student. A, a funny. I, this is a true. Uh, everything I say. It's all true, but but this is this is God's honest truth for people that that don't believe change is possible. Uh, and I go to college on a rowing scholarship. You mentioned crew earlier. I get a row, rowing scholarship, not a full scholarship, but enough to get me there. What am I studying? I have no idea. I liked art in essence. I probably I, I think I wanted to be more like Paul Combs um, uh, type of artist, but that his talent is just absolutely incredible. Oh my god! Yeah, but um, yeah. But but I went out there, uh, and my second uh, year, I was an okay student. Honestly, honestly, B, mostly C, sometimes D student. And so I usually had a D somewhere in there, a couple of Cs, maybe a B, and maybe an A in gym, okay? And that's it. And here I am in, in college, and one teacher, this is like the third day of class, and they're talking about how people don't change. The teacher's saying, people don't change. You are what you are, and you don't change. And for some reason, this is what the teacher said. If you're a C student in high school, you will be a C student in college. You don't just flip a switch. And at the, I got scared, legitimately scared when she said this, because mm -hmm. I thought, wait a minute. Like, I thought, like, if I really applied myself, I could be an A student. I, my mind wanders. I get distracted. I probably got ADD. I'm not really interested in half the subjects I'm taking. But the reality is, I think if I wanted to be an A student, I can. And now I'm being told, oh, no, you just this is your peak. That year, I made the decision. I'm making a dean's list. I'm getting all A's. I'm making right. a dean's list. Good for you. Because I needed to prove to myself that that, yeah, and I did. I made a dean's list. And right after I made the dean's list the next semester, I was back being a B, C, D student. Because I proved I could do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I proved I could do it. And then I was like, mm. I, 
I still don't know what I want to study. Mm-hmm. It wasn't laziness. It was just not being interested. And yeah. now I know why. Because I was inter- I had this creative side of me that writes books and, and draws and coaches and does things. And that's where I belong. And mm-hmm. I didn't belong in a textbook. Math, I'm terrible at. Yeah. Terrible at. My brother taught me how to be a, a pump operator. I figured it out eventually. I had the sheet. But for me, it was like, look, man, start at 150. If they say they need more pressure, give them more. If they say less, give them less. Yeah, right. That yeah. was my training. That's everybody. That's it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> right. Right. And then I get this, this, <laughs> this card, you know, this, this, you know, th- double sided, yeah. um, yeah. you know, three friction loss card that was like uh, uh, to me it looked like einstein's notes i'm like i don't know what the heck i'm even looking at here i'm not good at math you know i remember uh, one time i had less money in my bank account than i thought and i went to the bank years ago and i said you know I, i'm supposed to have this much They're like well let's research everything and i'm like look i, I balance my checkbook i'm good at balancing a checkbook and they proved to me i'm not good at balancing good. a checkbook <laughs> I'm telling you, man, there must have been like eight different times that I just did math incorrectly. I'm like, oh, well, sorry. I I transpose numbers. It is what it is, man. It looked like an (laughs) eight when I was looking at it earlier. Sorry. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You know, and it was, it was like, I thought I had like, like 3000 in there and I have like negative 30. You know, it's not my strong point. And that's something also about being a training officer. You don't have to be strong in every area. You're going to have people Mm -hmm. around you that are strong in areas that you're weak. And that's good. Utilize their strength. I did not think I needed to be the guy to do training on everything. Suddenly, all right, now Frank's also, now he's a technical rescue expert. No, I had guys that worked for the urban search and rescue team on my department. They're the technical rescue experts. I just organized a drill and asked them to come in and teach this portion of it. Right. So you can utilize the talent. You need to utilize the talent around you. Yep. And they'll respect you for that, too. You grow leaders that way. Uh, I, I believe in that. I believe that uh, somebody's ability to work the room and lead the room as I tap into their expertise, you know, your firehouse, whether it's it's big or small, there's a cadre of instructors there. Right. There's a toolbox of resources. And all I have to yep. do is facilitate. I just need to know which tool to pull when. And and that gives that grows a yep. new leader because they're now they're now leading this room. So no, I I that's 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 my number one methodology in running a training program is knowing who I have to help me facilitate and train yeah. others. You know, I shouldn't be teaching you EMT and stuff. An, I'm an EMT because yeah. my job required me to be. Right, 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 and and that's a very interesting another principle that that back to baseball that I relate to real world, put your aces in their places, put the right people in the right position. When we played game two in this world series, um, I, I started with my best fielder in center field. He made two plays. The second inning, I put him at second base. He made another two plays. Mm-hmm. The coach on the other team after the game says, it's amazing. Wherever Jack is, the ball finds him. I said, that's because Jack's going where I think the ball is going to go. I'm taking into consideration the pitcher, the speed, who can hit, who's, who's coming up in their lineup, where they're likely to hit, and I'm moving him to that position. Right. You know what I mean? Put your aces in their places, right. and, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you, you know, you, it, it, things work better. 
And you can't micromanage them when you do that. You got to just say, look, I, I trust this person's going to do the job the right way. And sometimes how mm -hmm. do you get them there? You may say, I got people in my organization that aren't engaged, uh, have conversations with them, sit down, say, look, here's something I'm, I, I'd like to do, but I need your help to do it. You know, and you get them a little bit involved. And then when you get a little bit involved and you have some success and people feel good about that and you say, hey, listen, I just want to tell everybody this doesn't happen without Ron because Ron took care of this part and that part of it and did a great job and was able to you know, help bring us to the next level. And so, so Ron, thank you. I uh, guess what, guess what Ron feels now? A sense of pride and accomplishment and belonging, a sense yeah, of, hey, man, yeah. I'm part of this team. Yeah. And so now Ron's like probably going to be a little bit more engaged than he was, mm -hmm. but then there's other people that are sitting there going, Hey man, I want to be part of this team. Now this team seems pretty cool. Now, you know, I don't want to sit at the kitchen table and complain anymore. Here's something about sitting at the kitchen table and complaining. Do you know why pigs don't mind rolling around in the mud and stinking like a pig? Here's why. Because pigs don't even know pigs stink. It's their environment. Right. When we sit around the kitchen table and complain, you might be the biggest complainer at that table and not even realize you are. But right. it's because you actually just adapted to that environment. Right. And now you say, oh, this stinks and that stinks and I can't wait. And eight more years, I'm out of here and I give up. And a bare minimum, that's all I'm doing. You know what? This right. And you start doing that because everyone <clears throat> around you doing it. Yep. Misery you know, loves but, company. But, and you don't even, and you may not even, right. And you may not even feel half of what you say is true, but eventually you will because you'll convince yourself. The things right. you tell yourself is what you get. You know, that whole thing about manifestation and, and all, I mean, it's true. It's true. I wanted to be an Amazon best-selling author, you know, even though I didn't know the difference between an adjective and an adverb. I was foolish enough to want to be an Amazon best-selling author. And I have now seven books that were number one on the Amazon bestseller list in the fire service category. Seven. Yeah. That, that I know of. There might have been, you know, one or two may have been there that I didn't even know of. Even yeah. Sprinkles the Fire Dog was number one. Yeah. Step up and lead, flashpoint, all of them, and you know that's that's just believing, You're just creating a belief within yourself that I think I can do this. I think this but for can. a good I'm reason. Not to you did it for a good reason. Me. There are people who believe these things for negative things, like you were saying. So, so that's the thing is finding that way that's to flip the point. it for the positive. That's right because you can you can create a. A, a positive or a negative day for yourself before you even step out of your house. Sure. And that doesn't mean everything's going to go great or everything's going to go bad, but you can have a bad day before you get out of your house because you're in a bad mood. And it's the stuff that you're telling yourself. And I'm not going to get all hokey. I'm not going to talk about Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to get all, uh, you know, motivational on you. It, but the fact of the matter is I learned this a long time ago is that I'm not letting anybody in my head anymore. You know, you, you can say what you want, positive or negative about me. If you say something positive, I'm very grateful and thankful. And and believe me, I'll let you know how grateful and thankful I am. Uh, if you say something negative, I'll take it into consideration because maybe there's little truth and maybe I need to look at myself, but I'm not going to let it affect me. You won't stop me from going where I'm going to go. It's just not going right. to happen. And if I'm, I'm, I'm better for you. I'm better as a friend and an ally than I am as a person that you want to alienate because I won't 
be the type of person that gets somewhere and then leaves people behind. I'd be the type of person to say, who can I bring up here with me? Who can I help? And, and so that's, so I'm not the type of person that responds well, if you're going to be criticized, condemn or complain about me, I'm going to just tune that off and say that I just need to get away from that. They're toxic and they can have their opinion of me, but I'm going to leave them over here. I'm going to focus with these. And it's the same thing again, as a training officer, if you're, going to try to change your organization. You don't have to try to change the entire organization. Try to change one person, one person to align with your idealism, your thought process. This is what we want to accomplish. Here's the goal. This is what we want to do for our organization. We need a new apparatus. And then you get two people. And then that grows to three or four. Then you have a little bit of a committee that says, hey, this is great. Let's go do this. And while we're doing it, let's do this too. You start making change. And now people start to feel left out saying, hey, man, I want to be part of that. They seem to be they're they're having a better day than me that i know because they're not sitting commiserated sitting rolling around with the pigs in the mud right 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 so at some point yeah at some point you just gotta say you know what i don't want to roll in the mud anymore i want to soar with the eagles yeah and yeah i love that. that's a decision it's that's exactly it it's a decision and just uh like i know we're getting into witching hours so i just uh off of what you said you know we learn about span and control in the fire service right so the same thing goes with your ability to motivate and inspire others. Don't try to just do it with everyone. Span and control. I'm talking, you know, in the position of like a, like a, a local level leader or, or a training officer or whatever, right? Um, For sure. Inspire those who you have an effect on, who you have an impact on, because they have five to seven people each. And through time, the whole organization is 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 moving and grooving to, to this positivity. Uh, if you just try to go up yes. there and speak to the whole organization, only five to seven are going to be bought in and the rest are going to be commiserating. But if you, right. if you narrow it down yeah. to those five to seven, then they speak to those five to seven, et cetera. And, and, the, and the message clicks and, and it doesn't have to be about you. It doesn't have to be like, Oh, I, I, I did this. Like, no, we did this and it was for the right, right reasons. You know, we, we didn't commiserate, you know, we, 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 we found common ground. You know, I call it, remember the alternative uh, 90s song, Breakfast at Tiffany's, you know, like like just when everybody thinks that there's no commonality, you know, well, hey, remember Breakfast at Tiffany's? Yeah, I, I think I liked it. I think I kind of liked it. Yeah. So we both have that in common. You know, there's there's that one thing where we can find commonality and that's where we make the the steps to, to, to get past the misery. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, I heard a, a really cool little um statement where somebody said uh you want to change your organization reach one and then each one reach one yeah i like that I'm like, and then it's progressively yeah it's like this whole thing each one reach one and now you got four and then if each one reaches one now you got eight then you got 16 and you got 32 and if you got 35 members of your organization and you got 32 of them engaged that's pretty good you're, right. you're not you know you almost and and you don't hear this type of stuff a lot on leadership uh, cl- uh, classes and conversations, but I think it's important that you you need to understand you, you need to stop expecting you from other people mm-hmm. because when you get re- when you finally turn the corner and say I'm all in, and then that, now you're surrounded by people that were who you were three months ago when you weren't engaged and you weren't excited or enthusiastic, you can't be upset with them that they're not where you are. You got to try to help get them there. And so you got to you got to be like, all right, I'm not going to be upset that that they haven't turned that corner, but let me just show them a glimpse of what's around the corner. 
Let mm-hmm. me talk to them about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know plenty of people, and I've said this before. I know plenty of people that have bad day after bad day after bad day, but when you really um, analyze it, they never have any bad days. They have bad moments. They let ruin their, their day. Right, right. Just that's, bad I mean, that's that's so true. You know, you there's know? if you peel back the onion layers, is it really as bad as you made it, or was it? Did it start from one one small moment that you right. magnified into hours and days? Now you're a hundred percent right. Um, so listen, I mean, there was a lot of things that I wanted to talk about. I know we, we, we've been doing it a while, so I don't, I don't want to take away from, from your time with your family and all, and I appreciate you taking the time. So I did want to talk about a couple of things, but hopefully we get a chance to do this again. But I, I just want to briefly say. I'm sure we you know, will. Yeah. I just want to just briefly say, you know, there's uh, for, the, for the listener before I, I end you with the last question, but just for the listener, you know, Frank has a number of books there. Uh, so if you got kids, sprinkle sprinkles the the, the fire dog uh, is is beautiful. You know, I've, I've, I my kids have a, I have a copy of the first for, uh, version of it. I got to get the second one. It's a good book. It's very motivational, which is crazy because it's supposed to, it's designed to be a children's book, right? I find myself being motivated yeah. in it because I, I and you know I've struggled with these things that the sprinkle struggles with, you know? So I'm like, wow, like this is like almost like I get emotional reading this book with my kids, you know, it's a beautiful thing, but just all the difference. There's a lot of lessons in a lot of Frank's things, life lessons, motivational lessons, leadership lessons, but also as I have connected with, and it's, and it's not even an intention of yours. It's because of your experience. So Frank is a very motivational guy. Everybody that knows him knows that. Okay. He's a very inspiring guy. Everybody that knows him knows that. Right. But a lot of the things he talks about, uh, they very much with the people aspiring to be a training officer or are already in the training officer position. And that's because of your experience having done that. And I don't even think it was intentional. Like a lot of the things that you do are, are life coaching things, but they're spoken, at least how I interpret it, maybe because of, of me having done that. They're spoken from a person who has had to teach others, coach others, mentor others, and, and find oneself in how they can be better at, met- at methodology. So I say to the people out there, it's not, I get nothing for this. Okay. What I do in my career and what I, in my life, the things that I've been blessed to do um, are because I've been able to interact with people like yourself, Frank. And, and I, and from reading books that he's had 10 classes that he's had, I'm not saying that. Listen, you're doing okay. You don't need you don't need my endorsement. I'm saying from a fan, no, no, from a from no, a student. It. Yeah, it's just you know, uh, I, it has worked for me. And I say that with with zero arrogance, just a, a a physical, true representation. Like I've had great success because of people like Frank Viscuso, because of reading things that he's written, because of connecting with him and speaking with him, and 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 um and I I. I I don't challenge you. I, I encourage you that if you're at, if you're in a rut, if you're in a position where you're trying to figure it out, how to do certain things, there's a lot of stuff out there. Even practicarios, like I said, like you know, I told, I tell you this all the time. Like, like I have a number of favorite books and quotes and things of yours, but it, just in my job, like I remember when I bought the book and I asked you to autograph, and you're like, well, I don't know if you want me to autograph this, you know, because you might not always use it. And I told you, like, uh, I think we were at an FDIC, and I said, hey. I still use practice scenarios, you know, and I got that book from you years yeah. ago, you yeah. know, because it is, it's, it, there's a lot of good stuff that you've offered that help us, uh, not just in life, not just in motion, but in our careers and in the things that we do, you know, as leaders, as training officers, as human beings, as stewards to the fire service, stewards to people, 
And, uh, and I think that there's, there's a number of, of facets that you have that, that, uh, they help. And I just throw that out there to, to the listener is I know, you know who he is, but I'm telling you, there's more than what you already think. Like a, a lot of stuff for years, uh, have helped me 10 easily 10 years that I've been reading your stuff have helped me go through, um, this thing of ours. And I appreciate that. Just, you know, I wanted to throw that out there. I know, I know, and I always pick on you about this. I say, I know that people compliment you all the time, but I know that it's not actually something that you're always comfortable with. Um, and I know we're kind of doing it on a public thing, but I say it to you all the time is because as life has gone on and we lose a level of connection and staying connected or, or, or in touch, you're always going to be a per- an important person in my life because, um, because of that time where I said, I want to do what you're doing. And you just made me feel like I could do it. And you were very, very human about it and very sincere about it. And I, and I say that to people, you know, it's a, uh, there's a lot of great stuff that you're able to put out that helps all of us in, 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 in not just the one thing you're dealing with. So, so I do, I appreciate what you do for us. Um, it means a lot. And, um, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. And I want, here's where I'm going to really put you on the spot, right? So here's the no, last question. No, well, you know what? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, man. Go no, ahead. I mean, that means a lot. <laughs> it, it, means, you know, it means a lot to me. I am a person like you where I believe in letting people know how I feel about them. And you don't always hear people say nice things. And you know how I feel about you, man. You, you're, 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 you are driven by passion. And you remind me a lot about myself. And it's true that time when you text me saying, thank you for posting this. I needed this today. And it was like, you know, I don't even remember what the post was, but I remember exactly responding back to you saying, I needed it today too. That's why I posted it. You know, like once, don't think that a person who tries to make his mark motivating other people doesn't need to be motivated. We all do. We all do. So I appreciate you, man. I appreciate everything you're doing, your passion, your drive, uh, your commitment, what you're putting out to the world. You're just putting content out there to help people become better, too. And so keep doing that, man. And keep being the dad that you are, too. Thank you. Because I see what you post on social media, too, and I think it's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. So the last question is uh, what type of legacy do you want to leave behind? And it's a tough question for people, but, uh, you know, I, I, I do. I wonder what you would like to leave behind. Cause I already know what you've left behind for me, but I want to know what you want to leave behind. Um, you know, when I wrote step up and lead, uh, I remember thinking this when I wrote, when I write this book, gosh, I mean, in the, in the next room over, I'll sit at the kitchen table, I'm writing it one day. And I remember my wife, like, you're still working on this. Like it, I, it wasn't like I was an author. I had a couple of books out, but it they weren't doing much. And I said, um, you know what, Laura? I said, I feel like if I'm right about this, that this book's going to make an impact on people. And I, I feel like I'm supposed to do this. And I think a couple of years from now, time will tell if I'm right or wrong and if my instinct is right about this. But but just be patient with me until I get this thing done. And she was. And that went out and it made such a huge impact. I've had people stop me at actual fire scenes and I've had people call me, email me, 
um, text me, stop at seminars, just tell me, man, that book in particular, more than any of the other books, that book in particular um, has made him a better husband, a better father, better fire service leader, a better business owner, you name it. And that stuff right there is what I didn't anticipate. Um, but when it comes to to legacy, here's what I can say about legacy. Um, we don't get to choose our own legacy, ultimately, because legacy is going to be what people say about us when we're gone. Right. Uh, what I think we do get to do is treat people how we feel we should treat them while we're here. So I'm more focused on uh, I want I want when people leave my presence. I want to somehow make them feel better about themselves. I want them to feel their potential is a little bit greater than they thought it was before they spoke to me. And I'll find ways to kind of work that if I believe in it, you know, there, there's some people that, you know, like anybody else, you're just like, you know, this person's toxic in this environment. I need to kind of get away from them. We all have them in our life. Mm -hmm. but for even those people, I want to try to say something. Um, and, and I'm a reclusive kind of guy, believe it or not. I'm, you know, you know me enough to even know that if I'm in a room of five people sitting at a table having dinner, I'm probably the quietest person unless people are asking me for my opinion about something. Uh, I'd rather not even talk. I'd rather just listen more than talk. But um, it's not for me about what they're going to say when I'm gone. It's more about what I want them to say about themselves when they leave my presence. And hopefully my books that'll be here long after I'm gone will be able to make them believe in themselves a little bit more and create a bit of a better lifestyle for themselves. And I don't care about them thinking about me as much as I want them thinking about their children, their spouse, and the people around them that they're leading and and trying to be that ripple to say, if I can build the people around me, I create a better environment for everybody. And that's what I want. So um, I honestly, this is the truth. I think 10 years after I'm gone, nobody's going to think about me ever. I'm not a, I'm not a, an author that, that sold, you know, millions of books like Stephen King. I'm not an actor that people are going to watch their movie. And when you say breakfast at Tiffany's, you actually think of the movie, not just the song. You know, my books may just kind of disappear. But so I never look at it that way. It's but if somebody does find a book and I've even written this in one of my books, by the way, I said, I'm hoping that, you know, 100 years after this book was written, on in a thrift store somewhere somebody just found this book and it's you and you're reading this section right now and i'm hoping the world is a better place now than it was when i wrote the book and i was in step up your teamwork and that's ultimately what i hope first just to make try to make it a better place and thank you for asking the question yeah and thank you for uh saying uh, that because uh, that is by definition our legacy is what people say about us later you know that somebody else writes our After legacy we don't you know I <clears throat> I asked the question because you're the first person to, to truly answer that correctly so good so good job <laughs> but now I do because uh, yeah good. yeah, right, so yeah. getting better at taking tests. great interview question <laughs> yeah. no but uh I do, I I just I want to say um Everything you said is 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 exactly, and I, I throw that question out because you know, like it's nice that we're doing the video thing because you can watch somebody get squirm and get nervous, 
true hu- people with humility. And, and and so far, everybody I've interviewed are, are not uh, narcissists. So the, it, it works. The question works for that reason, because it puts it in perspective. Like I say to people, you know, legacy is 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 uh, it almost uh, is the objective for our life. Like, what's our life's objective? Like, what are we doing? Everything we do every single day has some kind of value and meaning to to the end result. Right. And that we don't get to see, which is the the, the, the actually right. that's the right. most poetic part. It's like planting a tree. We don't You're not going to see the tree when it grows. Right. Yeah. Right. We don't get to see it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I, and I, I say that to people, you know, like with the, what you do matters, you know, is, is that like, like everything that you do, I promise you 10 years after you're dead, it's going to matter. Uh, I promise you. Um, Cause everything that you've written has mattered so far and yeah, you're out there speaking about it. Right. That doesn't matter, man. Cause you and I both know, like you're able to speak about it because those things that you captured in words mattered that everybody was like, I got to hear this guy talk about this. Um, uh, you know, mm-hmm. so matter and they mattered for me and I represent thousands of us and I'm talking thousands, hundreds of thousands of us, you know, they mattered to me. Um, you know, they, well, they I matter. appreciate you, buddy. Yeah. I appreciate what you, you do more matters. And I appreciate what you do. I don't want to, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to get uh, sentimental. And I honestly don't even want to keep talking about Frank. <laughs> Let's talk about, I know, I know, I know that that's, this, that's the uh, thing I always love about you is cause you're like that. You know, I've, I've watched you squirm when I've given you like the bro hug and I'm like, listen, you don't understand how much this means to me that I'm doing this. And I really appreciate it. And you're always like, yeah, I always see you stiffen up. You're like, yeah, yeah, of course, pal. And I'm like, oh, he, 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 he gets like, uh, you know, awkward with, with comments, but I do, I mean it because it, it is like, you know, what you do matters. Like the things that you, you like to do where you like to be a life coach, you are, you know, I mean, you are, you know, I, I, I may, I am one of thousands of a physical representation of somebody that, I, I'm a better person in my career and in my life because of you. And there was a point where I almost gave up. I'm not, that's a, for, I'm never going to share it on this show. It just is. There's a point where I almost gave up and, 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 and even indirectly just, just reading through your stuff helps helped and it helps. So thank you. Yeah. And you're welcome, brother. You're welcome, brother. And you know, I'm always here, man. The beautiful part about the fire services, uh, there's a lot of wonderful people in this industry that are easy to access. I had a guy before this show actually call me up and said, hey, man, we met uh, when you were out in my state a few months ago. And uh, and I said, yeah, yeah. I said, uh, how are you doing? He says, good. You said that if I was going to plan a trip to New York City to call you and you'd give and I'd give you some and you'd give me some tips. I said, yeah, he goes, well, I'm planning the trip right now. I said, listen, I'm about to jump on a podcast right now. And um we're going to be, I'm going to be there for maybe about two hours. So how about two hours from now? Call me, write your questions down. And I'll help you out any way I can. That's how we are in the fire service. That's right. It's brothers and sisters helping brothers and sisters, man. And if anybody ever does feel like giving up, you pick up the phone and you call somebody. You pick up right. the phone and you call for help. There's no reason to, to be so prideful that you think, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not that. No, man. We're in this together. And I mean life. We're in this together. And if any one of 
that you know has figured it all out. I'd like to meet them. I haven't figured anything out, but I do know we are in this in this boat together. So we need to row together. And sometimes it's going to be with the tide, and sometimes against it. Right. But um, thank you, thank you yeah. for having me on this on the show, man. I really appreciate it. I hope some people took some value away from it. Yeah, thank you. And I just want to end that with that is that the, the, the show's called the Training Officer. So we talked about a lot of life things. Uh, understand that that is literally it. I mean, like there, you are responsible for the development of others, and whether you realize it or not. The things that you're doing for others can help them for their course of, of, of not just their fire service career, but life. And, and it is in a very important role and position, that training officer position and what you can do with it. And it helps you grow as an individual also and as a person. So, you know, Frank, I appreciate you for who you are. I appreciate you being the guest for this, the, you know, my first official guest for this format of the show. And and I want everybody to stay safe and 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 God bless and and, and thank you. With, you know, Dave McGlynn, fire engineering uh, podcast officer, and my first guest, Chief Frank Viscuso. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Take care.